Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. We are again recording. Oh, right. Welcome, <laughs> friend. <laughs> I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. You haven't. I've had sick children. It sounds really unpleasant. It is, but hopefully we're on the mend. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't either. I haven't had anything going on this week, except that I'm trying to be less neurotic. And it's working. That is a noble goal. <laughs> For me, it's a big deal. For anybody, really. Yeah. Um, I have this thing where I recite lists in my head. and I believe that because you write lists all the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so every morning, I do the same five things. I make my coffee, take my medicine, fill up my water bottle, make my breakfast, and make my lunch. And when I get up, I go, coffee, medicine, water, breakfast, lunch. Coffee, medicine, water, breakfast, lunch. And then when I do one, I'm like, coffee, Water, breakfast, lunch. Coffee, water, breakfast, lunch. And I do this until all the five things are completed. And I was like, that's annoying even to you. I'm speechless. (laughs) (laughs) Have you always done these things? I think so. Okay. Yeah. And I, I told myself, stop. Trust yourself to remember to do five simple things that you will immediately notice if you don't do. I mean, I don't think it's bad necessarily, but but it's it it's just anxiety. It you. Oh, it's sure. just pure anxiety of like not trusting myself to remember. I'm not going to leave my house without coffee in the morning. I drink it on the way to work. I pick it up right. like if it's not there, I'll go make it. Like You know, there's some truth to that because literally, I mean I have to have coffee to survive every morning as well, but I have left my house before without it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's how this started is I was like, I could forget my lunch. Like, and I have. I forget. But like, worst case scenario, you just go buy your lunch. And so I just started building up all this anxiety and like reciting these things. And sometimes I do it in the morning, like brush your teeth, put in eye drops, go to the bathroom. Well, I can't open my eyes without the eye drops, and I obviously know that I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so I had to tell myself to stop doing that. I was like, your body will tell you that you need to pee, and all you have to do is go do it. Yeah, do and the thing. I'm, so I'm trying to be less neurotic, and I've had a lot more mental peace, not reciting my list in my head, and I have not forgotten anything. Well, that's good. I wish there was a way you could transfer a little bit of that neuroses to me because I am notoriously forgetful. <laughs> I have called Brandon asking him to bring me coffee, to bring me my lunch, to bring my wallet out to the car, and I can never find my phone, ever. Like, my not even yet two-year-old son, when we are getting ready to go somewhere, he will literally point and go, phone? Because <laughs> he knows already. This yes, I do know that you misplace it. Because oh. I'll text you in four hours later, you're like, hey, lost my phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, we need a healthy transfer. This is what needs to happen. 
You can try making a list in your head to a beat that you can remember. I can try. No more of five things, then, because then it's That's just good. too yeah. much to make sure you leave your house with your keys and your phone and your coffee and your lunch. I'm parting with something that's okay. no longer serving me. I if will you would it. like to use it, you can. This has been a healthy exchange. And that has been therapy with <laughs> Hannah and Stephanie. Our next Join podcast. us next week. Uh, but that's not why you're here this week. Um, <laughs> we should probably here. talk about a book. Right. So <laughs> our book this week um, is Homeland by R.A. Salvatore. It is a fantasy novel, our first fantasy novel. Homeland is the beginning of a sprawling series of books that if you are in this nerddom, you're going to know these names really quickly. If you're not, um, just stick with us for a little bit. I'll try to give you the bare minimum explanation. So this is the first in a long series of books in the Forgotten Realms, which is um, put out by Wizards of the Coast. These are the same people that give us Magic the Gathering the, I didn't realize it was put out. Yes, by... and Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. All of that is in this same world. So this book is the origin story of one of the most beloved characters in this realm, cycle, whatever you want to call it, Driz Doerden. He is a drow, um, also known as a dark elf. And it follows from his birth at the beginning of the book, um, which he was not supposed to live. He was the third son, which is traditionally a sacrifice to the spider queen Lolth in drow society. Fortunately for him, his uh, the, the second oldest brother uh, in his family killed his the oldest brother right when he was born. So he got to live. Yay. So talk about an origin story. There's a lot, This book reminds me of a lot of other books, but in this respect, it reminds me of Ender's Game because Ender mm-hmm. was the third mm-hmm. and so is Dritzt and um, Ender's family just gets a special government status. Stipend. um, Driss, his oldest brother, dies at the hand of his second oldest brother. Anyway, drow society is uh, very evil, I guess. We'll just keep it simple. Um, And this is the story of his upbringing in this society. They are subterranean elves. They live in the city of Menzo Berenzan. Oh, good. I'm going to try not to trip over that too many times. I'm going to just fumble because I didn't listen to the audiobook. I was going to ask you if you did. Nope, I've got no idea. I'm just going to... I have listened to one audiobook in this series, so I'm relying on that that I did like five years ago. I'm just going (laughs) to start the word and give you side eye and you're going to finish the word for me. Dear listener, (laughs) if you are a fan, a super nerd of of these books, just know we're going to mispronounce many of these names. So There's not a correct pronunciation. Pronunciation. (laughs) There's also not a correct pronunciation. Off to a rousing start. Anyway, um, yes, so this book not only sets up the origin of this character, Drist, but also... Um, the society of drow that he is brought up in and the the way that their society works. But his particular story, um, he's pretty innately good, I think is fair to say. He has a moral compass and is slowly corrupted by the society in which he lives. And this is the story of his reckoning with that, his loss of innocence, and his rebellion against both his family and his society, which leaves him outcast. And this, I will say, is the first in a, a trilogy We'll talk about the publication history later, but this book kind of ends on a cliffhanger and it continues in the next two books that um, are a continuation of his origin story. So I had to really look back. It's been a it's been a hot minute and be like, what is in this actual volume? Yes, because I was conflating what was in this book with the two that follow it and then subsequent books. And so I had to really hone in on this one 
novel to prepare for this podcast. We'll introduce you to some other characters' names as we go. I guess one important one would be his father, Zach Nafine, who he doesn't know is his father uh, until later. Uh, he's the weapons master of his house. The The structure of society in drow culture is very interesting. It's a matriarchy. I'm going to predict, Stephanie, that you're going to give this two pancakes. Do you want to say why, or is that is that the end of your sentence? I feel like this will be similar to... My experience with romance for you when you assigned me spoiler alert that you're like, yeah, this is okay for its genre, not my genre. Exact opposite. Oh, I'm giving it one and a half pancakes. Okay, okay. The genre's fine. The writing is atrocious. Oh, okay. I cannot abide the writing in this book. The fact that it's fantasy has nothing to do with its rating. It is the craft. What you learned about yourself last time, I think I learned about myself this time. Craft matters more. Than you thought it did originally, or? I mean, you said, is it the writing or the... Is it the craft or the content? The craft or the content. Mm -hmm. You said content must matter more. I think craft must to me, because the content to me was fine. Okay. But the craft was so bad that I wanted to burn it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's been a a long time since I've read these books. I know... um, there's a lot of battle sequencing that I just would kind of gloss over because that's not really my thing. But people who like reading that told me he's good at writing battles. I don't care about reading battles, so that, those were the that's only never parts of me. the book that I thought were well done. Oh, interesting. Okay, well then let's. Well, why don't you just start um, start from there? I guess. Okay. What, what do you want to say about this book? I'm interested. Well, first I want to say that you should go to our Instagram account and look at the cover of this book. My daughter, (laughs) take a look at the cover of the book. And let me clarify, because my husband will be upset if I don't. It's the Todd Lockwood cover. They re-released these covers, and he has very strong opinions about which cover art you should buy. (laughs) (laughs) My three-and-a-half-year-old daughter thought that the man on the cover was... Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Our Our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his lion. (laughs) (laughs) And I personally, as her mother, do not know where she got either of those ideas. (laughs) Because I have never talked to her about Jesus Christ or his lion. (laughs) And... So, yeah, just go take a look at that and imagine a three-year-old being like, Mommy, that's Jesus. And, you know... It's a panther. <laughs> it's all black. No mane. Yeah, it's a so, it's a black elf and a black panther. With white hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Interesting. With a, his sword and his cloak and mushrooms surrounding him. And Maggie was like, Mommy, that's Jesus. Okay. All right. So, yep. this book. Okay. I'm upset that you liked it so much because the writing is so bad. Well, to be fair, I have not read... It's been, I mean, do we want to get into my history with this book? I'll, I'm going to tear it apart first and then you can tell me, okay. you can okay. justify yourself You just to go me. ahead. Okay. There were numerous misspellings, grammatical errors, punctuation errors, words simply dropped off of sentences. There was a place where there was a double quote where there should have been an apostrophe, a possessive apostrophe where there should have been none. The word ever instead of never. The word that missing from at least two sentences. Mm. And these were things where I was like, can it possibly be correct? Can I be misinterpreting it? And the answer is no. Like, 
it was oh rife. like a weird grammatical yeah, oh, yeah it is rife with errors which do you 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 know more about the publishing industry than I that's do that's an editor I'm not gonna, the writer okay. His editor went on a vacation, and the boss called and was like, hey, don't you have this for Friday's meeting? And they had forgotten to do it. And they were like, of course, boss, it's done. And they emailed it in. That's got to be. doubly concerning because, like I already mentioned, I gave you a version of the book that is a re-release. It's not the original release of the book. so They had a chance. Right. To... You had a do-over. <laughs> they didn't do-over. <laughs> okay. I've never seen a book this poorly edited make it to print. Okay. That wasn't like Book of the Month Club where it's misprints that they sell at a huge discount. Never in my life. So that's not really about the author themselves, but... But still worthy to know. Yeah. Lots of telling instead of showing Mm -hmm. um, writing. Every emotion and every realization is carefully spelled out and hammered through the reader's head with absolutely no finesse. Like, instead of letting you figure out with the character, they're realizing this slowly. They're putting it together. It was just, this is what they thought. Um, I thought that the dialogue was very inconsistent. Like, sometimes the tone was very modern, and they used, like, sarcasm and were kind of quippy with each other. And other times they were talking in, like, old, with an E at the end, English. (laughs) (laughs) Oldie! The oldie townie! (laughs) Yeah. And those could be happening on the same page. Sure, sure. I'm going to use modern sarcasm and then oldie English. Sure. A lot of the dialogue is exposition, which you are not supposed to do. And the characters routinely think aloud in quotation marks to the point of unbelievability in situations where they're trying to be sneaky in a world where, Mm -hmm. like, sneakiness sneakiness matters. Mm -hmm. And they talk so much about, like, their footsteps are essentially silent. Like, everything is about you being silent. And they're alone in a cavern and think with their words. Like saying da, da, them yeah. out loud, not like yes. the, in italics I'm thinking. No. Of. Okay. In quotes. And like the person next to him who he's fighting in battle overheard him. And I'm like, that's because you said it out loud. Sure. <laughs> These are what thoughts are for. Um, and then the rest of the dialogue that wasn't exposition was telenovela style dramatic. Mm. I can see. Which this is... Is this your first foray into high fantasy? I mean, Stormlight is high fantasy. Anything written by Brandon oh, Sanderson Stormlight is high fantasy. Stormlight is, like, so much its own thing and better than everything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've read Lord of the Rings. That's high that, fantasy. Yes, it is. I don't know that I've read much other fantasy other than Lord of the Rings and sure. things by Brandon Sanderson. Well, and those are both kind of, I feel like... Outliers, yeah. I mean, Tolkien is is Tolkien. He's a classic. Yeah, and Brandon Sanderson is Brandon Sanderson. Uh, right. He's the modern classic. Um, if you, <laughs> dear listener, if you don't know him, go. Yeah. If you like book. fantasy, go read Brandon Sanderson. Sure. I think like you talked about with romance. When I read, spoiler alert. There's a lot of bad contemporary high fantasy. I've read some of it. It's it's real bad. <laughs> I. That's what Kyle said too. Yes. He was like. There's these, you know, that are up here that are just crafted so beautifully that, like, stand out. But for people who love fantasy, you're going to ingest just about any of it that comes out. Right, And the rest of it's definitely down here. Yes. And And if you love the genre, like I like romance, you tolerate a level of it 
it's not my favorite. Yeah. So Kyle was like, yeah, I loved this book, though, because fantasy, fantasy, right. fantasy. And I don't I was think like, that negates any of your points. I, th- I think this one's pretty middle of the road. I've read better like you have, and I've read worse. I believe you. Um, I believe you. So, yeah. I think for me it was like, if I loved this genre so much that it was excusable and I could just, like, right. put rose-colored glasses over it and see it, you know, just for the story like I sometimes do with right. thrillers or with romance because they're my thing. Um, I didn't have that capacity sure. in this book. Um, Kyle apparently did. Good for him. I read this and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, I understand. The rose-colored glasses, I think, in this case, for most fantasy lovers are drizzed-colored glasses. It's He's a beloved character. character. Yes, and I'll talk about that later. But that's the, that's the rose tinting there um, where they tend to skip over... All yeah. these craft issues you're bringing up, I think. I can appreciate that for someone who is not me. Yes. Um, so the opening chapter hammers you over the head with the world-building exposition. Yes. And that is not how you're supposed to introduce the world. And world-building is... I've only ever written books that take place in our world, so I understand that has got to be a challenge, but I know enough about fantasy and have read enough good fantasy to know how like, when you've done it correctly, you definitely don't want to just spend a chapter saying, like, well, this is how the world works, this is the system, this is the kind of people. You introduce it in pieces, you let people figure things out and put stuff together. It was just a chapter of just info dumping. Mm -hmm. And that is the first thing I said about this book on page, like, four. I turned to Kyle and I was like, it's just a huge info dump. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. (laughs) You hear so much about this lizard that you never see again. I was going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) The first chapter, I thought that this lizard was going to be a main character in the book. It's like the bishop in Les Miserables. I was just going (laughs) to say that. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I was, no, I'm so glad that you did because you love Les Mis. I do. That is exactly what I thought of Les Mis 200 pages in when it was like, and here's your main character. I was like, we haven't met the main character? Yes, the first 150 pages you're with the bishop, which in a novel that's 1,400, that's the equivalent of your four page. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I thought for sure uh, he was going to be the main character. No, he just dies. I thought that there was going to be people riding lizards around all day, every day, (laughs) and it never happened again. You never saw a single mention of a lizard again. It explained how they operated and how you ride them and how you have mind control over this lizard. Like, it it was like... I don't even have, like... The faintest recollection? uh, uh, No, at all. I don't have any, like, image in my mind of any drow riding lizards. Nope. Which means I've read, like, 11 or 12 books into this series. The lizard doesn't come up again? Not that I can recall. Yes. That was one of those things I was like, well, we're world building here. It must have a lot to do with this yes. lizard. But I agree. It's it's the since you already brought up Sanderson, it's the opposite of what he does because yeah. he he gives you nothing. Like he just drops you in and just drops these things about the world that he clearly has thought through and I'm sure has some sort of encyclopedia for himself. He's got to have a book bible or oh, else he, he wouldn't be to. able to. But you as the reader are just left to kind of you know, but it's not confusing. Yes. It's not confusing either because it's dropped in a, and put in a context right. where you can use your, you know. But it assumes some intelligence on the reader's part. Sure. Yeah. Assuming that you can be discerning and make inferences, 
Sanderson's books are not confusing, but they do not hold your hand at all. No, this no. one led you by a leash to a lizard and then let the lizard go. <laughs> <laughs> New favorite. <laughs> Got really onto that lizard. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, the evil. Talking about how evil it was. In one paragraph, there's the unholy circle, the wicked deity, the drow-faced spider, the offensive spell. Every piece of furniture is shaped like a spider. Yes. It's like, they are evil. They thought evilly with their evil thoughts and their evil eyes and They're their evil smile. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, shh, I get it. They're bad. Yes. The drow are evil. Women are in charge and men don't matter. Over and over and over again. Women are in charge. Mm -hmm. I'm a man and I don't matter. Right. Every couple of pages. Oh, yeah. I just remembered. I'm a man. And so my thoughts don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to choose not to look too closely at the fact that an evil society is a matriarchy of black people. People. Oh, we'll get. I'm gonna address that later. <laughs> I'm just we'll not get gonna into that later. Dive into that. Huge info gaps. So, in spite of tedious info dumping, mm-hmm. the reader is still left with gaping holes in their understanding of this society. There's absolutely no parameters or rules for their magic system. Like, I still don't understand how their magic system works Mm -hmm. because stuff would just come out of nowhere. Like, even Harry Potter, which has one of the most simplistic magic systems, there are, like, five spells. Expelliarmus and Vatagadarva. You can disarm somebody or kill them. There's not a whole lot there, but it's clear. And when something works, like, Harry lives. Why? Because of his mother's love. Because of this magic. Like, things are explained. There's no explanation for this and fantasy literature has to have boundary on its magic system you can't just be like there are no rules and everything has to have some rails yeah to ride on you have to have things that work and things that don't work and there has to be a system in place or you haven't built a world you're just saying words yes that for this particular book that didn't bother me as much only because so there's like three schools that drow Mm -hmm. go through and we're following Drist, obviously, and he goes through the one that is for fighting and combat yeah. and physical training. There is another school of magic, and there's then the, like, religion priestess school, which yeah. is also magical. And he doesn't spend more than six months in either of those. So I always kind of chalked it up to that. Like, I mean, still, I mean, I hate to keep comparing him to Sanderson because he's obviously not well, a Well, we're talking about fantasy. So. But, like, Kaladin isn't a magical being either but like i understand the confines of the world in which he lives right but he's also not the only character you're following yeah so that i, I just don't know. i just wish there had been s- some fences put in place sure yes because i think the only fence you he's get... not a magical student but like there are right. no fences well, i think the only fence you get is that drow have like innate magic like their ability to levitate yeah but that's just like innate magic yeah can i teleport i'm not saying that's a good rail i'm saying that's kind of like that's the only way if you if the purpose of this book was not to flush that out it's like you just throw a bone like and they have some innate magic here you go well and i am 99 percent sure that this character was a drow but at one point a renowned wizard is flipping through a spell book in the middle of a battle that they had anticipated going into. <laughs> so they, like, march off to war. And at other parts in this book, people have, quote-unquote, prepared spells. Which is a D&D term. Yeah. So you're marching off to war 
<laughs> where you intend to fight something, mm-hmm. you're expecting to find a big baddie, and you think to yourself, I'll prepare by bringing my textbook from wizard school and flip through its pages while an earth elemental attacks yes. me. Well, you know, this is the difference <laughs> between a wizard and a sorcerer in D&D. Uh, so, <laughs> if you want to get into that... <laughs> That was dumb. <laughs> I I was like, if you die in this battle, you deserve that. Yeah. Like, you brought that one on yourself. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I feel like we need to, like, stop here to acknowledge that you've played D&D before. I have played D&D before. Tell us how you found it. Uh, <laughs> Did you enjoy it? <laughs> I don't know how to answer the question. About, I was dragged along to it. I think yes. that they needed another person or my husband was going to play it. All of my friends were going to play it. I was like, don't leave me at home. Right. And so I, your husband helped me build a character. And I was like, I don't know this. I don't know this. And we quickly, we quickly killed off that character and gave me a different character because I could not play that character. Yes. Because I didn't, didn't understand what I was picking. No, and it didn't align with your personality. Yeah, uh, just for the record, the personality of this original character was kind. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was a paladin. It's not. It's okay. An elf paladin named Arya, who... uh, (laughs) R.I.P. I I rapier you in the hole. (laughs) No. (laughs) Was that what I said? I think you Uh, killed a a a dragon. Or a dragon. Yeah. Somebody blasted a hole in its side, and then you stuck your sword. (laughs) And I said, I want to rapier it in in its wound hole. (laughs) Yes, that lives on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Later I became an a tiefling, tiefling mm-hmm. uh, who steals stuff, which is something I'm quite good at. I used to steal. It's okay. Don't feel bad about your rapiering in the wound. You don't... <laughs> Later that same campaign, Brandon got me bit by a dragon, and I'm never going to let him forget it. It's fine. <laughs> but I, like, I tried to be game. I really did. Like, yes. everyone else is having a good time, and I tried. I was like... Make this fun. And I was just like, guys. It's it's not for everyone. And that's why I wasn't sure. I, I didn't expect you to like this book. I have played one D&D campaign where I had fun for that one night. When we had our feminist yes. D&D campaign, I that was, was having more fun. Um, part of the reason why I didn't like our other campaigns is because I didn't like that environment and it gave me anxiety. Um, so I felt more comfortable being around people who are equally as clueless. And so I don't think you're the only one. I, we, I've had other friends I've talked to that if they're beginners, they want to play with just beginners. I wanted to play with beginners who weren't going to be like... Because it's also hard. I mean, it's not even intentional. I don't always think if you've been playing this for a while and yeah. you know the game mechanics, you're just going to rattle off these things. Yeah, so you sit there for three and a half hours and you haven't done anything because someone's always right. faster on the uptake, which is right. the point of the game. Like, right. try not to die. So they're fast on the uptake, but that means that I have been sitting here for three and a half hours playing Sudoku on my phone. Because... Right. Or if you were me falling asleep at the table. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Our DM threatened to give my character narcolepsy. (laughs) (laughs) I realized too late that this book is the beginning of a trilogy, but is not necessarily the beginning of this series, right? Or is this the first book in... It's convoluted. Okay, we can Mm -hmm. talk about it later. I'll explain. But I was like, we don't have any history or context for the drow are just like, we hate all these other races. There's no reason for that that Mm. they give you and dritz even asks he's like hey 
why are we so mean? <laughs> why do bad things? Um, no one, no one answers him. What's the deal with them hating all the other races? Why did they, they seem to have no motivation whatsoever for being the way they are, which also really bothered me. If you're going to hammer into my head that they're evil, 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 give me their villain origin story. Why are they so bad? Oh, like, this is a, okay. are they angry Good. about something? Did something happen? I have an answer. Okay, yep. well, I didn't get one in the book, no. so I'm glad that you can tell me, but yes. since no evil actions seemed to have any motivation, it was just like, we are evil. And Dritzt is good. He's innately good. He is born into this race, his father who is also innately good. And there's no explanation for how, with neither nature nor nurture, they just become the exact opposite of their society and just mm -hmm. are innately good. I don't understand how a society that evil could ever function and last because oh. there are no rules. <laughs> like, people, there are well, some there rules. Are some. There are some rules. That's true. They did give. If a, you try to attack another family and you fail, you go and get punished. Yeah, but if you try to attack another family and you succeed, everyone will pretend they didn't see it and yes. just go, what family? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know her. Exactly. And you just get over it. The first battle, the second brother kills the first brother because he wants to be the first son. Yes. So this is a society where you can just kill folks and later it's talking... If you can get away with it. If you can get away with it. Yep. And the oldest daughter is pretty openly planning to kill the matron of their family. <laughs> and it's even said, like, well, this should be expected. Like, what else am I supposed to do? Just not ever yes. kill her and be the matron? That is the norm. I mean, even, like, when Drizzt is in uh, training school for combat and he, like, befriends the one dude. Yeah, from, and then he that guy betrays him in their big grand battle at the end of the year that's, like, their final. How would a society like this not have nuked each other into oblivion? There's, you're, you're forgetting about one key player in their society. Zick, Zick's feeding Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Mother spider? Spider mom? The spider queen. Oh. The, the goddess that they all serve, Lolf. <laughs> yeah, I don't love I don't love her name Lolf <laughs> Doesn't she sound evil Lolf Is that, is that the word rural 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 <laughs> It's one of those words I'm like why Okay Like it reminded me of Lilith like, oh, yeah. I was like, you could have gone with that. At least you would have had some history with it or I something. I just think Frasier, and I hear that <laughs> that name in Kelsey Grammer's voice. <laughs> Lilith. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> now Kelsey Grammer's in Menzo Berenson with me. Okay. Menzo Berenson. Anyway. Oh, Dritz is born, and... Dark elves live for like centuries and centuries. Right, so elves. so we immortal. we jump decades at a time and it's yes. like whatever. Cuz so, he's in school for like 20 years. Yeah, and it's like whatever, that's an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um so he's born and then he's pretty much 16 and he's training. Then at 21, I don't remember, sure. At an age older than that is going to go off to the academy. So he's this is still considered an adult in their society. You're just an adult for forever and ever and ever. But he's grown. Mm -hmm. And when he leaves for the academy, he knows literally nothing about the society in which he lives. An adult royal knows 
nothing about his society. And he, like, walks outside and he's like, we're evil? I had no idea. I just had an older sister who punished me with a six-headed snake whip and a mom who never (laughs) talked to me. How would I have ever had any clues to the fact that my society was a little broken? Well, I think... I think he might have been a little skewed, too, by the fact that his father, who also shares this kind of inherent goodness, was also part of his upbringing. A lot of drow wouldn't have had that, so... Sure, but everyone he's ever met, other than this one guy, if your older sister whips you with a snake... Think think about it. You think it's like one of those things like, man, my family sucks, and you don't realize till you leave your family house, like, oh, no, oh, this is the whole world. He was even like, I can't believe my brother killed my other brother. Really? Have you met your brother? I believe it. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I think he was written unbelievably and that he's not actually unintelligent, but at that point I was like, this drove me crazy. When Zach and... We're going to call the father, Zach Fune, Zach. Because okay, we can call him Zach. They yes. call him Zach throughout yes. a lot of the book anyway. Yes. So Zach and Dritzt both come to the conclusion separately that they must kill the other one. The reason they come to this conclusion is because Zach is like, oh, no, Dritzt has become evil. And Dritzt is like, oh, no. Zack was always evil, even though we're both grown adults and every other being we have ever met in this world is pure evil. And I've never once brought up the idea of committing a murder to stop that. I have now concluded with absolutely no pros con list (laughs) (laughs) or plan B. They just have not had good models for behavior. Or decision making. What else are they going to do? And this was just like the romance novels that drive me crazy where there's a small misunderstanding where if they had a 30 second conversation, they'd be like, oh, I misunderstood. We can still get married. I'm so sorry. But instead they don't do that. And they go through like four chapters of angst. I was just like, hey, send a text. It might be fine. And that's ex- like that's this exactly is, what this was. This is so interesting. I feel like we've already brought it up a few times, but the parallels between traditional romance and traditional fantasy genres. I this is interesting. Romance is a little fantastical. <laughs> yeah, we're we're finding some parallels here. This is fun. It really drove me crazy. That's and fair. then at the end, when they're both like staring into each other's eyes, being like, I must kill you for this very real reason. Yes. They're like, wait. What? You're <laughs> not scratch. bad? I'm not bad? Well, what if we just don't kill each other? Yeah. That's fair. If Brandon Sanderson rewrites this, I'll read it. Because the sure. the idea of the society was fine. Okay. The idea of Dritz was fine. Like, a story about someone being born into a society in which they do not fit and they do not have the same ethics and moral values as that society and they want to break free but they would be in danger if they did so and there's you know weird made up religion like okay i'm here for all of that i had no problem with the story it sounded like it was written by a third grader (laughs) i and i was personally offended because i am not published and what i feel like that has made you take some things personally on this I like to think I'm not just being petty. (laughs) When I read reviews, other people were like, uh, the writing? I I don't, I think, but this was published the year you were born. Okay. So you've got more competition now than he had then. Yeah. For sure. I think publishing is very different, but yeah, like. I also think publishing in the fantasy genre that's like churning out these books. 
Kyle was like, right. I think if you wrote fantasy, you'd probably get published. I was like, well, if I could ever, like, get myself to do that, <laughs> right, like, fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's really all I had to say. It was just executed so badly that I couldn't. You've read all seven Harry Potter books, right? I have, yeah. Have you ever felt that way about the first one when you compare it to the later ones? Like, I haven't, you see her evolution as a writer? Yeah, I haven't gone back and read the first two in a long mm. time. Because I, I think, because I realize they will not please me. Right. Like, <laughs> I've gone back and started at four and read like four, five, six, seven. I never go back and read one. Because I think I, I would be like, yeah, what is I, this? <laughs> I remember even at the time when I was in fourth or fifth grade, like I read the first one and I was like, this is so great and crazy and mind-blowing. And then I read the second one and I was like, this one's way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and now I, I, start, I like to be able to see the progression of an author, especially yeah. in a series like that. And I think this is one of those series where you can see that. I mean, this book was published in 1990. Yeah. And he's still at it. I so see. I even thought it was going to be like this was published in the fifties or sixties or something because like Tolkien. When you go read Tolkien instead of watch the movies, it's a little boring, a little slow. Right. We right. spend a lot of time with Tom Bombadil that I think oh, is unnecessary. Oh, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and so, like, if your only experience with Lord of the Rings is the movies, you're like, it's an action-packed thriller, and then you go mm-hmm. read. Fellowship of the Ring. It's well, a little bit of a drag. So I was like, maybe this jo- this guy is just from a different world. Maybe he's just from a different place where things don't have to at, be the standard. He, but That's partially true. And also, I mean, the 90s, you know, it was the year you were born, the year after I was born. But, like, also, it was still the beginning of the Forgotten Realms. And, like, D&D was still in, like, its first or second edition, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I I could be wrong. There are way bigger nerds than me out there that probably it was newish. want I... to correct me already. This particular vein of the genre, not the fantasy genre as a whole, mm-hmm. but the Forgotten Realms, which yeah. plays into Dungeons and Dragons, um, was still pretty new. This is the first story of Drizzt, the beloved character Drizzt Doerden, the good drow dark elf. Right. But it was not the first book he appeared in. So, there are a total, at this point, and it's still going, there are a total of 39 Drizzt books. Yes. I hope your editor got better over time. Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> and, but they're all, like, kind of in sections. So, like, this is the first in the, what's called the Dark Elf Trilogy. With that, so, those first three books, that trilogy of where he came from. But, again, those were not the first three written about him. The very first one that he appeared in was the fourth book chronologically in the world. Mm-hmm. It's called The Crystal Shard, and it's the first in a tetralogy. It's a set of four called the Ice Wind Dale Trilogy. Not trilogy. Tetralogy. <laughs> tetralogy. Um, and he originally appeared. I, I went back and forth between should I assign you this book or that book, The Crystal mm. Shard. That book is a very very traditional Forgotten Realms D&D kind of setting. You've got a dwarf and a human, you know, and a barbarian, and then Drith shows up. Do the elf and the dwarf become really good friends and fight well, at the battle actually, of... <laughs> she's actually his adopted daughter. Okay. Yes, yeah, so um, anyway, and there's, you know, this big epic battle at the end of good and evil. It's very traditional, but that's the first place Drizzt shows up. He's not the main character. He was originally 
Well, he was just created on a whim, basically. Yeah. He was a side character. But then people loved him so much that we had to go back and give him a story. Exactly. Exactly. The, I respect that. The uh, the author, R.A. Salvatore, so he was talking to his editor. I want to talk to In 1987. <laughs> they're having this. So, like, the Crystal Shard hasn't even come out yet. They're, she's on her way to a meeting, and she's like, okay, this one character you wrote, they're not going to buy that. You need to come up with somebody else. And he's just like, what about... A drow. I've got a drow character. She's like, okay, what's his name? Uh, Driss Dorden. Can you spell that? And he says, not a chance. <laughs> like, he just came up with it. Here you go. Obviously, more thought went into it later. So he was just, you know, made up on a whim. And yes, people fell in love with him because he was, well, I'm going to, I'll get into that later. So that was the first book that came out with him and that whole tetralogy and then pe- So we needed to go back and give him an origin story. That's where this book comes in. This is the first book I read in the series. I was introduced to the series by my husband who read them as a teenager. um, And this was the first one that he read. So we both read them in chronological order. I think at this point it's recommended you read them in chronological order. Right. But it's also important to know. You don't need to Star Wars it where you start. Yeah. I, I don't think so. But it is, I guess, important to know. He started out as just this side character that kind of grew into his own. The main character of that story was supposed to be the barbarian Wolfgar, who I find very boring, actually. So (laughs) I appreciate that turn of events. Anyway, so the reason we need to go back and give his backstory as well is because he is a drow. This is where I want to bring up, you mentioned kind of some of the mm, not so great racial things happening Mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. book. And that's definitely been a problem that Wizards of the Coast and D&D have had to address throughout the years, right? At the time that this book was published, drow, dark elves were really like, you know, orcs, uh, dragons. They were this race that you fought in the game that didn't really have their own story. They were just yeah. the big baddies. No speaking lines. Just no, like, just you're going to go after them. You're going to shoot them. Whatever. So putting this drow character in as a sidekick, it, it's it both did good things and bad things for that racial tension. It obviously in some ways like reinforced that stereotype because you you get this whole race of dark people who are bad. Well, that's uncomfortable. But then also showing you that they're not all like that and bringing attention to their race. And in that first book where he appears, he appears on the surface. He's not living in Menzo Barrens anymore. He's living above ground with dwarves and humans and he is treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. Even though all he's doing is trying to protect these people. And so, again, brings up all these interesting questions like, why are we treating him this way? What are our stereotypes and prejudices about his race? Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So there's, um, when I was looking up reviews for this book, I was trying to find one that's more recent because it's been out for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. And so I found one written last year. Of a, uh, It's on Gizmodo. I'll reference it in the notes. Uh, and the reader, he was like revisiting them. In light of all this, like, tension, and obviously we're trying to grapple with that and come to terms with that as a society ourselves. So in light of all that, he talks about how, you know, this is obviously problematic in this story. And he, he says, I don't know how conscious Salvatore was of arguably setting Wizards of the Coast on its journey to reckon with Dungeons & Dragons' racism problem back then, although he certainly is now, by presenting the idea that even a drow could be a hero. But it was a path he trod more solidly in Homeland. So when he when he decided to dive into this world and to give them more of 
give them a speaking part, like you mm-hmm. said, um, instead of just treating them like another monster in the world. He kind of forced them to look at those prejudices that exist in fantasy tropes and consider, okay, what are we going to do about them? Well, I don't feel like this book helped that, though, because there's one outlaw, mm-hmm. two outliers, and the rest of the entire society, that that's giving me very, like, Django, one in, one in 10,000, whatever it is, like... I don't know what you're talking about. There's a good one in 10,000 of black oh, people, okay. like, you're a special one. That's not better. No, <laughs> um, it's not. And, and I, this whole society not. that is inexplicably evil... I agree. But it set them on the path. Like, this is not just a race of monsters. We're going to actually treat them as, like, I feel weird saying humans because this is fantasy and we have lots of different little races. But, you know, like, living, breathing, thinking beings. Um, But, yeah, still those problems with, okay, well, we have the one, but what about the rest of them? That, this book just started him on that path. Still needed to trod that path. And so there's actually been... um, like I said, he's still publishing books mm-hmm. to try and correct this path. Salvatore himself has spoken about this, and I really appreciated um, some of his quotes as well. This is in a, an article from Polygon. Um, he started a new, another little trilogy, you know, in yeah. the series, The Starlight Enclave. I have not read this. These came out in the summer of 2021. But it was in part to deal with some of this. And what he does in those books, from my understanding, is he basically expands the world of the drow and kind of focuses on their diaspora. That the ones that live in Menzo Berenzain are not the only ones. That there are also, those are called Uda drow who decided to follow Lolf. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about their motivation, that's what drove them to this, is they aligned themselves with this evil mm-hmm. goddess. Um, but then there's also Avendrow, which live in the frozen tundra and said, nope, we want nothing to do with this spider queen. Uh, <laughs> And then there's also, I can't remember their name, but there's a jungle drow version that are more like earthy, right? Yeah. Uh, And so he's written further books that have expanded this race. And he says, I did it because it's the right thing to do. It's an update that was greatly needed for things that I didn't even know were a problem when I first wrote the books. This is something I hope more young people can understand. You're seeing all this stuff and it's obvious to you. If you grew up in the 60s and 70s, it wouldn't have been obvious. And he goes on to say, I love it, and I feel like I'm growing. So, like, he has fully recognized, yes, there are problems, like, in those earlier tropes. Well, and I don't think that he created those problems. Like, I don't think that, how do you pronounce it? Salvatore. Salvatore. I always want to say Salvatore. (laughs) Oh, maybe you do. I actually, I don't know. Um, I'm just going with what I I don't. I don't think that the author is, like, a racist. I think that he was a product of a society that where like light things are good, dark things are bad, and where well, especially in fantasy when you have all these races. And, yeah, yes. and so like, but who was the first person around a table to be like, oh, what do we make the the bad race be? Well, they should be dark. That might not have even been conscious racism, but it came from some kind of bias. Right. So I don't think that it's entirely on this author to correct the problem of dark elves being perceived as evil because he didn't start that, nor did... No, but I think it's cool that he sees himself... No, I I just want to say that I don't think that he, like... And I didn't think... 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that he is taking the initiative to at least correct in his own stories, my stories are going to reflect this. Well, but he didn't he, begin this problem. And I think he does feel some responsibility because he is the first one to kind of flesh out this world of Menzo <clears throat> Baranzan and where these drow came from and give them voices. And that does play into mm-hmm. that trope because, like you said, Drist is the outlier. He's the one good one. And if they're all bad, that's still problematic. And like we've already mentioned, this is a very beloved character. Um, Salvatore says, I can't tell you how many letters I've gotten over the years from people who have said, thank you for Drizzt. I finally have someone who looks like me. On the one hand, you have that. But on the other hand, if the drow are being portrayed as evil, that's a trope that has to go away. Be buried under the deepest pit and never brought out again. I was unaware of that. I admit it. I was oblivious. Yeah. And this is, I mean, he's a 62-year-old white man. I appreciate that he is, like, growing and feels like this is, he wants to be a part of this. And so he's expanding this race. He could just say, like, it's fantasy that's dumb. Why are people upset? But, like. But he doesn't. Um, So, like I said, I haven't read these new books where he's kind of expanded the race. And he doesn't see this, you know. He doesn't feel like this was dictated to him by his publishers. He doesn't see this as retconning anything. He calls it an expansion. Like, you're seeing a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, I would like to... The matriarchal thing bothered me, too. I mean, the last book we talked about was uh, They Never Learn, where we talked about, like, is a pure reversal of this Mm -hmm. world what we really want? And it felt to me like it was like, really, women? You want to be in charge? You want to see what that would be like? And it's just constant moaning from the men, like, no one listens to us, and they just carry around their snake whips and are evil. Oh, sorry, lady, I didn't remember. I forgot you were in charge. Like, okay. Again, I think that's where I've got to call genre, too, like you did with the thrill. Because it's like, you want to get rid of these problematic things, even in genre fiction. But then also, like, I think a lot of their motivation is they're following this goddess. Mm -hmm. And it's a female goddess. So then the females are in charge. The females are the priestesses. And this is, you know, in a world where you have those kinds of interactions with deities from other worlds. and. These different fantasy races. So I will say that, like, neither the that. matriarchy or the dark elf thing, like, really got me. I was like, it's fantasy. I'm not going to sit here and be butthurt about this. Sure. I, I just went, huh. But interesting. Stories, stories matter. Yeah. So, so I clocked it, but I wasn't like, I hate this because I feel like it's racist and sexist. Right. And I think from my very limited reading for this podcast, Salvatore has focused more attention on correcting the racial things more than... Well, and like you said, the the matriarchal thing seems to have at least a motivation. Right. They follow a goddess. Some goddesses are good. This one's evil. They follow a goddess who's evil. So it's a matriarchal society who does evil things. Yes. There was no motivation for the darkness being evil. So that felt more inherently prejudicial. Yes, we gotta correct this. Yeah, so I get that, like... Um, so yeah, that's, I guess, all I wanted to say about that. I just, I didn't want it to go unsaid. Yeah. Because it is definitely a part of a bigger conversation, not just with this book, but fantasy in general. That's a problem. And as fantasy expands, and we get more stories, like, like, we're getting more stories now from an orc's perspective. Again, doing what Salvatore did with the drow, hey, this isn't just this, you know, mindless, non-speaking monster. This is, like, a character with its own society. Uh, and that's one of the other things that this book gets a lot of credit for is the world-building that it does for the drought. And I know you found it very info-dumping. 
craft-wise, but he is the first one to really flesh out what the world of the drow looks like. And he is very explicit about like how their society is structured, how you get ahead in their society, all the Machiavellian machinations going on. I like political stuff so that in my books, not in real life. That was interesting to me when I read it. I think the intrigue. I think I I would be willing to give another chance to a book that he wrote later in his career. Sure, sure. Where hopefully his editor, you know, saw some stuff and he'd become a better writer because every book you write is going to, like, you're at least going to be more skilled as a writer. Is the story necessarily going to be better? But your writing definitely is. Did you find the world of the drow more compelling or the character of Drizzt Doerden more compelling? I did like the character of Dritz when he wasn't being written to be kind of a dummy. <laughs> Naive, um, yeah. Yeah. All, like, because the world was so simplistic of, like, we're evil with no point, it felt a little tedious to me, the world. Sure. So I don't know that I want to spend that much more time in that world unless it's done better. Right. Um, but I think I would be happy to follow Dritz around, give him another chance. Sure. I Those are the two... And the reason I ask is those are the two things... The people love about this book is the world building he does with the drow in Menzo Berenzan and then the character of Drizzt becomes very beloved. You see him, this first trilogy that, that Homeland is the beginning of, he's mainly in the Underdark still trying to find his way out. Once you get into further books, he's living on the surface, he's living among other races, and you get to see those interactions and how he handles himself in those and I really came to fall in love with his character. I can't say, because I can't remember <laughs> how soon that happened and whether or not this first book did it for me. But this book, correct me if I'm wrong, it has the little, like, inserts between chapters of, like, his diary mm-hmm. entries. I love those. Yeah. I, I live for those in the, because those continue in later books. And I love getting those glimpses into how he's thinking about what's going on. That's what enriched the story, I think, for me. And I like a character-driven story. I think this would especially work for people who already read Dritz somewhere and loved him, and then you right. get his backstory. They already have more substance to him. They right. already know who he becomes. They already have some characteristics. So if he's bland and not fully fleshed out and lacking motivation in this backstory, you're going to fill in the gaps from what you already know and right. love about him, and he probably got a big pass on sure. that from the fandom of this. Man, so maybe I should have assigned you the Crystal Shard yeah, instead of this so one. I'm not part of the fandom, and I didn't right. read them in that order. But I bet this, you know, worked perfectly for people who fell in love with Dritz in the other book and filled in the gaps. I can see how it worked. It right. just didn't work for me. Yeah, it's it certainly has for the fans, because he is definitely a popular character. Like I said, I really Oh, yeah, him. Kyle was like, oh, I love Dritz. And he goes, what yes. book are you reading? And I told him, he's like, oh, I love Dritz. Yeah, I think he was a little jealous I got you to read it. <laughs> <laughs> not him. I'm not allowed to just say no to you. <laughs> yeah. Nope, I got you in my clutches. Um, I found one note. All 18 novels that feature Driz, so he's not like a side character that feature him, all 18 have made the New York Times bestseller list. Okay. Starting with The Crystal Shard. The Orc King, which marked the 20th anniversary of his character, made it to number seven on that list. Um, the highest ranking one was The Two Swords that got to number four in 2004. So they've all been very popular. You know, whether that just became a bandwagon people jumped on. But I think there is some substance to him. I think when you get to see his interactions with some of the other races and how he reacts to his treatment by them and how he continues over and over again to make 
noble choices. Um, there's another character later in the books that becomes like his foil. His name's Artemis and Trary, and he's just as good with swords as Drizzt, but he's like this human assassin rogue. And yeah. whenever they meet up, it's always exciting. <laughs> I think next time I'm feeling fantastical, I might give one of these other books a chance later on down the line. I do think that having a fandom who loves mm. your story can get you, like... Complacent. Yeah, well, not even complacent, but, like, you're going to sell the books. Beca- and, like, kind of like Star Wars. Right. Even the fans are like, oh, that was terrible. Well, we all went to go see it, didn't we? Uh, so Nobody like, hates Star Wars more As than much Star as Star Wars, Wars fans. fans. Yeah. So, like, I'm not saying that he's, a, you know, doesn't get any better with the craft or whatever, but... Having a big fan base that is right. completely sold on your characters, yeah, you're gonna do fine. Yeah, and this was, I don't, I didn't feel as invested coming into this one. This is not like my top tier. I've always loved these books. I haven't hurt your feelings. <laughs> no, no, this was. I mean, this I've was probably a, hurt Brandon and Kyle. Yes, both of our husbands are probably gonna be hurt. But I read these because Brandon asked me to when we were still in college before we were married, and so and I did. And he, I did enjoy them enough that I read 12 of them. Yeah. So He read them as a teenager, and that makes sense to me. Yes. This book needed to be read as a teenager. And we, you know, I always thought when we started this podcast we'd talk about this more, and we haven't as much as I thought, but we did in our very first episode, like where you are in life or what season of life you're in when you read a book. Yeah. And this is a book about... A person growing up in a society they don't agree with and breaking from that. And I wonder if that would register with a lot of teenagers. Yeah, like, to me, the tone of this book, I could tell that it wasn't meant to be YA, but the writing was immature in a way where it felt YA. It felt like this is a book for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And lots of people in the reviews were saying that, too, is like, this isn't YA, but it feels YA. Not to, like, degrade YA, because YA is sometimes written so well. Um, But, like, it just, it felt... But it has a different audience. Yeah, it felt just like a lower maturity level because of the writing. And so reading this as a teenager might be the perfect time. For me, as an adult, I was like, oh, this writing is immature, this character's immature. And I have not revisited it since I was 20. Sorry if I ruined it for everybody. Nah, that's okay. But yeah, I enjoyed it enough that... And I think what kept me going with this series was Dritt's character. Yeah. So starting with his character made sense to me. I think all I have to say about that. Would you like to hear what other people oh, have to say you know I about would. that? I would and I wouldn't, but no, I would. Matt, my limited mastery of the English language is insufficient to express how much I hated this book, period. <laughs> That's all there is. That's it. I wonder if English is his first language. <laughs> <laughs> and then Solana. Yeah. Sorry if I mispronounced that, girl. The main character has the personality of a decapitated walrus at the best of times. <laughs> I love Trist. No. Some of the other characters are slightly more interesting, but it is always interrupted by the main character contemplating their navel. Well, yeah, he's trying to, like, be a better person. Remarkable that male drow are so unimportant in society, yet not a single character can stop talking about the main one. I slogged through this mess by doing the following steps. Oh, she has steps. They're, they're listed. Number one, I read all of the drow's voices with an Australian accent because they come from the land down under. <laughs> That's fun. Number two, I decided that Drizzt spoke like a 90s rapper and introduced himself as Dr. Drizzle Fo Shizzle. <laughs> he wears a sideways, upside-down visor, 
douchebag sunglasses, and a lot of bling. And you know what? It works incredibly well because nothing he says will ever matter. Oh, that is not true, but okay. <laughs> uh, number three, sending my DM updates with my thoughts. Always nice when you can tell someone that one of their favorite childhood books has all the appeal of a decayed frog. <laughs> she is merciless. Seriously, if someone can recommend, if someone ever recommends this book to me again, they might as well have just offered me a dead cat. Man! Okay, so we got decapitated so not a fan. Decayed frog and dead cat. I think She's she, violence towards animals. I know, I'm a little concerned. Uh, Solana, maybe Are you doing okay? Go uh, see somebody about that. But again, I think if you're just taking this one book, yeah, maybe. But this is his origin story. He gets fleshed out better. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Solana, don't take that literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Drizzt as a character is a very interesting character. But maybe not in just this isolated incident. Cool. Well, I like this book <laughs> and subsequent books. <laughs> my rating stays character. the same oh that's fine um, but I am willing to read another one if my that's curiosity gets the best of me I, I might go check out something later in the series so and, and I am by nerddom standards I'm very much probably a novice in this I mean I say I've read 12 books in this series but there's almost 40 yeah. so you know yeah. that's not even you're definitely half. just like a baby nerd yeah so maybe ask one of our husbands, which oh, Kyle book. will be happy to tell <laughs> which me. Which other book you should read? Kyle would be happy to tell me at length. Because I've just gone through an order, you know. He just... would not stop asking me what I thought of the book. I was like, I'm going to talk to Hannah about it, and then you get to <laughs> listen. But he was like, what are you thinking? Where are you? What's happening? What's Dritz doing? <laughs> but this is definitely a book where I love the character, and that's why I kept reading these books. Yeah. So I think I stopped reading, actually, because the next book I was at in the series just focused on Wolfgar, that other barbarian character. And you didn't like him. And I was like, I, I'm out. <laughs> I could have just skipped it. <laughs> oh, oh what, what? I need to tell you what you need to read next week. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so for next week, we're going to talk about Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. It's W-E-I-R. I think so. I wouldn't want to say wire. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Weir. We're going to go with that. I love this book and have recommended it to lots and lots of people, but I kind of think Hannah's going to hate it. Well, I will tell you next week. All right. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating, and don't forget to hit subscribe. Offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Okay. Couldn't, couldn't handle his night. Okay, with Andy Dwyer. Like, <laughs> did you not like Andy? I loved Andy, oh, but okay. he's not fighting a battle. Like, I don't no, know. No, he's just in a band. <laughs> Burt Macklin, Dark Elf. Oh, <laughs> let's. I would like to see that crossover. Thank you. You're my dad. <laughs> yes.